you know, I realize we're one of the few fashion podcasts that doesn't start with a fit check, and we're all going to have our clothes on camera now, so at some point, that may be something we have to think about. Are, are you nope. requesting a fit check? I'm not requesting a fit check, but I'm saying that there may be a point where that becomes necessary because the comments are going to be like, David, what is that? Well, we'll talk about David's beautiful shirt very shortly, but it's a beautiful shirt. It's beautiful shirt. But, you know, they might want to know. <laughs> we're in our homes. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> they might want to know about these fancy boy slippers I was sent in the mail from Del Toro. Can I get them in frame? <laughs> They're like little. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not all that thrilled. Like, it's just like I'm wearing something because it's like, it's comfortable. You know, I'm sedentary for. You're on the clock the now, Reed. You're on the clock. No comfort. And on the camera. On the top. I'm going to buy, I'm gonna buy you a ring light. I got a haircut. Buy us all ring lights, David. Cut it all off. It was not yeah. on purpose. It was not. Barbara took some liberties. What? Your, your, your guy? Yeah, I was just like, yo, can we. I was like, can we just go a little bit shorter? Like, just clean it up. And he was like, yeah, for sure. By the way. I'm having some serious issues today and then broke down like like actually like actual life issues that was that was going on. And like halfway through, he was like, what are we doing again? And I was like, this is going to go well. <laughs> See, my barber did that, but he gave me a great haircut. The last yeah, time no, I saw. I mean, it was like I'm not upset with the haircut. It's just like it wasn't what we had asked for. You know, mm. it's like when uh, the it's royal like when, we. Yeah, the, it's like when DoorDash comes with a with an order that doesn't have your name on it from a restaurant you didn't order but you open it up and you're like yeah you know <laughs> it's not bad enough that i'd complain yeah exactly it's like someone else might get mad at my order i ordered chicken fingers yeah that's why i don't get haircuts don't get haircuts um so uh, albert what are you wearing aside from those those slippers well i really want to share the fancy boy slippers i'm just wearing a vintage ll bean flannel and i'm wearing the the heddles wrangler bootleg bootcut jeans they're super they're still kind of dusty from the desert but i've been wearing them non-stop and they're so fucking good so that's all that's all i wanted to share with you guys but yeah this like company sent me these like kind of like belgian loafers and i don't know where i'll wear them to they're like brown suede he's a he's a fancy man now yeah hey, this I've, is the the heddles quote from a history of dress shoes part two the Belgian loafer is the last in this long line of loafers designs and made its debut in the 1940s. Henry Bendel, the designer who introduced Coco Chanel to the States, opted to create a more delicate, softer version of the loafer by having Belgian cobblers use the 100-year-old turned method by which shoes are sewn inside out before fl being flipped outwards. As if to further accentuate the shoe's elegant construction, Bendel added the leather bow to the toe, adding a much-needed masculine touch. Bendel's design is still in production by the Belgian Shoes Company, which is a subsidiary of Bendel's eponymous brand. Okay, so these are not officially Belgian loafers, but they're in that. Do they have style. the masculine bow? They yeah, do have there's a someone in bow. the in the comments already. The bow added to the Belgian loafer is a quote masculine touch question mark. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think that was that sounds like our editorializing too, which is fun. Yeah, um. great minds. So it's got like the little like bow tie. Yeah, like a it's, little, it's yeah. like laced through the, the, the throat. It does have that, yeah. Very nice, very nice, Del Toro. Yeah, good shoe. If you want a little fancy boy slipper, I would recommend. Oh, Reed, what's on the Comfy Patrol today? Clothes-wise? Yeah. Why are I we, see I a beanie that's, that's covering up that haircut, I think. It's yeah, dark. beanie is... Get that man a ring light. 
show us the beautiful contours. Oh, Scott and Charters for Union Made. Look at that. Mm. I got some 18 East pants on that are like covered in chalk from climbing them multiple times. And uh, they're not actually covered in chalk, but I assume if I like shook them out, they'd look like a rug. And uh, South to West 8, like one of their weird like ECAT, ICAT fabric shirts. I don't mm-hmm. know. Very nice. Very nice. Keeping it simple. I can't believe we're, I cannot believe we're doing this. It, it only took us like a year, a year and a half. I think it makes sense. You know, they're going to want to know what we're wearing. Especially now that we're a visual medium. I look like I'm like in witness protection. Well, that's a choice like, that looks you've like you should, made. It's, there's no choice here. It's just like this is the environment we're living in. I've been trying to find a good lamp and we can't find the right lamp. Dave has been threatening to send me a ring light for like a month and a half. He hasn't, he hasn't done it. I will send you a ring light, but the, the resistance that I received to trying to send you a mic stand <laughs> led me to believe that a ring light would be much less uh, welcome in your home. How big are ring lights? I feel like all these things are just like, it's like, I don't want to live in a podcast studio. I do like, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to just like be like, oh yes, this is like at, at 2 a.m. just being like, I work here. That's when I forget I work here. I close my desk. It's got a little, like a little portal. <laughs> my mic stand. It's a Murphy desk. <laughs> yeah, no, it actually, or what are they? It's on a Murphy. It's like something. It's got something. It's like, yeah, I got a little door. I close it. My, I don't, I'm having trouble visualizing that, but my mic stand stays on my desk and I just fold it down and it's there. But like, you know, I'm not, it doesn't bug me. The rest of my desk is clear. And, you know, my light kit, I put away in my closet when I'm not using it. I don't have a ring light, David. I would also like a ring light if you were sending out ring lights. Uh, if you would like to sponsor us with ring lights, read what is their email address? Blowout at heddles.com. Okay. And uh, Reed's address and uh, the code to get into his building will be in the description. <laughs> no code. <laughs> Security is lax. I've got something special that I'm wearing, which is the. Uh, Latest sample in the sortie collab that I'm I'm working on at the moment, which was just completely like, here's some fabric. What do you want to make with it? And I I had them make this. This is the second iteration, which it's all about the pockets. I don't know if you can see. We got sad man here and we got happy man here. Okay. The thespian mask sawtooth shirt. the, The drama shirt. I like it. It looks crispy. I really like the pockets. They're, they're very useful. Hey, I got a mask in this one. Is it going to break in? Yeah, it's going to break in. This is like, this is 14 ounce fabric, um, but okay. it's made with hemp and tencel. That's bottom half weight right there. All right, well, welcome back to Blowout. My name is David. I'm here with Reed and Albert, who are both very cozy and very well-dressed at the moment. And uh, I'm also feeling cozy here in my slippers, but I I realize that the slipper life in the house is not the life for everyone. Mm. Some people wear socks. Um, Some people don't wear anything at all, but... uh, 
Yeah, we've discussed what we're currently wearing on our feet, but was wondering if you might uh, tell if you had a guest over. What is the shoe policy in your home? What what would you what would you ask people to do as soon as they step in from the outside world through your front door? My sidewalk is like eternally covered in dog shit. Like those come off. Like shoes, shoe off, hard shoe off policy. Um, we have a comfortable couch that I feel like can't like it. It balances it out for anyone angry. It's like no, you sit down, you're fine. You mean like sit down to take out your shoes off? No, it's like you know, it's like you get mad about having to take your shoes off if you're one of those people, but then you get to sit on the couch. It's fine. You get over it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I am. We're taking a shoe. We're taking our shoes off home here. Um, but because the the beauty of getting sent free shoes, as I am is that I have several shoes that have never seen the outside world. So sometimes I'll just be wearing like sneakers around the house, but they're they're pristine. They've never they've never been anywhere. So you got your your kitchen shoes, your bathroom shoes, your living room shoes. Oh yeah, no. House shoes are an entirely different different proposition. If they haven't seen the outside, they're they're fine to see the inside. They're fair game, yeah. What about you, David? Those were my ring boots while my my feet bled uh, in them for a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, I'm the same way as like, I, uh, have like a tiny staircase as soon as you come into my place and it's just lined with shoes along one edge of it. That's where I keep all my shoes and people tend to get the the message of like, oh, I should take my shoes off here because there's like less gravel with each step up into my, uh, into my place. There's like less grit and stuff. And I, I vacuum it pretty regularly. In the summer, it's easier to let slide. I feel like in the winter, it's just like, especially like in New York or Denver or something, it's just like, it's so slushy and salty and gross. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's for the outside. Like once they, once they leave the lot. It does suck though, when you go to like a house party and you have a full, like an outfit planned and then you have to take your shoes off if it's inside. Um, That's always a bummer. I feel like you shouldn't be throwing like big house parties if you're a shoe off. Like, like it is, mm-hmm. it is a choice that people make, but it's like I feel like that's why it's for the young. It's like a young man's, young young man's, young women's game, young person's game. Yeah, the big house party it was always rules go out the window. Um, yeah, at least when I was uh, at my place in New York, it was just like you. You couldn't have all the shoes there. Like the entire like hallway would be full of shoes. Yeah, no, and it's just and also you, you can't police it. Yeah, like there's nowhere to put them. It's like there's already got to be somewhere for a jacket. That next morning, you have to scrub and vacuum. Yeah, that's on the host, right? The host has to just deal with the shoes, the shoe problem the next day. Yeah, you're probably going to have to throw away the bathroom rug anyway. Mm, clearly. But uh, I'm glad that we all passed the the shoe vibe check. I, I think that we're all uh, normal, considerate human beings that have good thinking about uh where shoes belong in the home mm-hmm. um and just to an fyi you may not want to invite chris Friswick into your home because they made their stance loud and clear in a wall street journal op-ed this week called here's why i'll be keeping my shoes on in your shoeless home fucking asshole that's <laughs> literally the the title of the column okay chris are, are you ready for the text I'm ready. Born ready. Shoes are one of the things that separates us from other species. <laughs> Getting in here, horses wear shoes. Excuse me, Chris. But uh, not only are shoes fabulous, but they protect our soft and not very well-designed feet 
from threats both foreign and domestic. I mean, what does he say about, about your own feet? Uh, I'd say mine are designed very well. Yeah. Uh, every single toe that I ever broke got that way while I was not wearing shoes. In fair. Uh, despite their incalculable value to the human race, many people maintain a shoeless home. Some of them believe that forcing people to remove their shoes before entering will help keep their floors clean from the various things that exist outside. I do understand that there are people who don't wear shoes in the home for cultural or religious reasons. If I'm entering the home of someone from a culture in which wearing shoe, street shoes inside is a sign of disrespect, I'm of course going to take them off. I will also remove them if my shoes are covered in snow, mud, blood, condiments of any sort, lava, blah, blah, blah. But barring shoes outright just to keep your floors clean is bringing a gun to a pillow fight. Turns out there's already an effective, old-fashioned way to achieve your goal of a clean floor while neither insulting my hygiene habits nor endangering my delicate, vulnerable, long-suffering feet. It's called a doormat. I don't believe that. I don't believe in that. I have a doormat, and there's still so much grit that makes it into my, my little landing area where the shoes live. Yeah, doormats just to make you feel, like, to make you feel better. It's not effective. It's cleanliness theater is what a doormat is. It's to display an ironic saying. I feel like this is carrying on a long-standing Wall Street Journal tradition of, like, taking a petty personal argument, probably from a dinner party that not a single other person reading it attended. Or maybe, like, that's exactly who it's for. And turning it into an op-ed piece. Um, Mitch Album actually used to do this for a different... For New York papers, where I feel like you would like take like a Starbucks interaction and blow it out of proportion. I feel like this was just like someone getting mad at a party, being like the five or, assholes uh, you meet in heaven. Yeah, you know, it's like, a g but I just I feel like this is like someone just being like, I will impose my will upon you in your home. Like that is the entire this entire story, right? Like that's the whole point. Is like he he doesn't like he will do what he wants to do in your house unless there's cultural or religious implications, right? But he's not racist. He's not. He's not. Uh, I'm not even not saying he is. It's like I guess like <laughs> that was like his cover. It's like he probably. Like, I mean, whatever. I have no idea. But it's just sort of like it's just like like I, like what is it? How does this guy behave normally? Does he smoke cigarettes in other people's homes? I mean, I was kind of a perpetually barefoot child and I broke no toes. I've still broken no toes. Just don't be so fucking clumsy, you know, Chris? I've broken a toe and I was barefoot at the time, but still, that was worth it to not be an ass in someone else's home. Do you think Chris has a really messed up feet? Because that seems to be, he's, they say that their feet are poorly designed. Maybe this is a them problem. Ooh. There is a long aside in the column there's a couple paragraphs talking about like different uh, ailments their feet have endured but uh pales in comparison to the dragging on the internet that chris has gotten for publishing <laughs> this column yeah i mean just I like, don't what know. do you think would happen this is this is all hate clicks this is why we're talking about it and it's like you you go on the wall street journal with a take that you know is like divisive to say the least and then ultimately it's like it's like you're basically just like yeah, you're like, I don't know, vandalizing another person's home. I have no, it's not even, it's not that, but who the fuck, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, who, like, who's, does anyone sided with, has anyone been like, yeah, man, I'm just going to storm the Bastille. No more shoes off for me. 
Uh, I could understand if they had like orthotics or some foot problem that re- like yeah. makes it difficult for them to stand. In which case, just like go sit on the couch. Mm-hmm. Just say so. Reed has a really comfortable couch. Yeah, say so. Um, yeah, otherwise, just it's so. just very rude to be like, hey, can you take your shoes off? And like, what is that interaction like? If you come in like, oh, can you take your shoes off, please? And they just go, no. And you just have this like stare down at the vestibule. I think that Chris doesn't get invited to other people's homes very often. <laughs> anymore. After you have like three or four of those interactions, I feel like this is really easy. Like, it's like, I won't be taking off your shoes when I come into your home. It's like, then you're, you won't be coming to my home. That was easy. Like, refuse to flush the toilet because you're a let it yellow, like mellow household or something, you know? Like, it's like, what is, what else does Chris do? Being like, there's already germs in the bathroom. I will not flush my pee. Yeah, well, I think we, we all agree here. This is a terrible take. I thought it could be a decent jumping off point to the etiquette of how to keep the outside world out of the inside of your home. And especially when having people over. So like, I don't know, like thinking back on the house parties that I had, like there was usually like a, a someone's room that had like became the jacket room where everybody just put their jackets on the bed. And like, a, we typically shoes were just like, okay, if you're having more than I don't know, a dozen people over, you can't, you can't hold back the tide there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, if it's like a dinner party or something, like, yeah, the shoes are coming off. If it's, it's enough people that you can address them all at the same time, shoes are off, jackets, there's enough space on the, the, the hooks. I feel like a lot of parties, most parties that you're going to in LA are like half indoor, half outdoor all, all year. So... Mm. If there's, yeah, enough people, it has to be shoes on because people are going to be going inside, outside, and there's just nothing you can do about it. You guys have alleys. Like, we have trash juice on our sidewalk, like, 80% of the time. Like, they just, trash just lines the sidewalks, and then they clear the trash, and you walk on that area. And, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's, like, a very, like, L.A., they do, they, they, like, you guys have the alleys for the garbage. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. You know, like, New York, it's, like, Everything happens on the sidewalk, I feel like, or on the subway. Like, the number of times I've just stepped onto sticky cars, like subway cars, you know, it's just like. I was like, you're stepping on sticky cars. Nah, it's subway's car, too. I get it. I get uh, it. I get it. In New York, I feel like it's a losing battle there, too, because, like, you go on the subway and you sit on the seat and you put your bag down, like, on the floor of the subway. And then you go home and you put the bag down like on the floor of your room and you sit on your, your bed. I don't know. Oh, no. I mean, I like it's not. I, I just don't like to wash my pants a ton. So I'm a pretty big stander on the train. It's just like legs are fine. You can You're lean. not a train sitter. No, not at all. Ever. It's like, well, mostly because like I don't need the seat and like a lot of people in New York do. And but it's also like. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, man, like the number, like also it's just like you have literally no idea what's going on in that car. The like three stops before you got on. It's just like easier to sort of lean mm. for me in that the situation. Empty car, you're not sitting down. God, no, absolutely not. Oh, well, no, I mean, you an never empty want car. to sit down in the empty oh, car no. either way. I was going to say the car that has shit in it. I was saying empty car, like mid, like, like rush hour. Absolutely. You don't even want to get on the empty car, but no, like empty car late night. Like I might, I don't know, I guess it depends on like what I've consumed that day. But, um, no, like New York, it's all an illusion. And like my dog just like hops on everything. So it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But I will say it's just like the number of like, I just feel like shoes get like, 
crazy. Like, I don't know. It's just like, there's just like, you can take off your shoes. I can't take off my dog's paws. You could put those little like uh, foot condoms. We've on. tried for the salt. He doesn't work. He walks like he's got tape on the bottom of his feet. No, oh, he doesn't understand. No, nah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it is tough with with dogs, you know, because they they'll lick and smell whatever's on their walk and they come home and lick and smell you. And, you know, so it goes. I've become a lot stricter in my own room, like what I wear and don't wear, you know, like I feel like. I, I really am not wearing like pants I've worn out of the house on my bed, stuff like that, you know, just I think bef- before COVID, there were some things I was a little more cavalier about. I mean, because I'm not really on public transportation and stuff partially. Um, but I think just in the last two years, I've been a lot stricter about like not having certain things in my room at all. And yeah, nothing can touch this or that. So the ultimate goal for me is to keep gravel out of my bed, which is like a perpetual like war during the winter, especially in New York of just like, it's going to come on your shoes. It's going to get on your floor. It's going to get like on your feet and then it's going to get in your sheets and you're going to have gravel in your sheets and everybody hates that. In college, it was the most difficult. Is like being in Maine, that was impossible to keep uh, gravel out of the bed. Um, but yeah, so like the the more walls of defense that you like you have between the gravel and where you sleep, that that's uh, I, I've successfully kept gravel out of my my bed the entire time I've lived in this place. And but you have to stay vigilant because the gravel is like right down there. Is it like a one drop of oil taints the water supply situation or like if you find a piece like tomorrow will be okay. It'll just be slightly disappointing. I'd have to like wash all my sheets with bleach, probably wash the mattress cover and I'd have to like vacuum a bunch of things. It's pretty gravel. Yeah. Well, like sand, like salt, the stuff that they pour on the roads for in winter. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's oof. well, like when you're staying at the beach, you're going to have sand in your bed. Nothing you can do about that. That's good sand. For some reason, I feel that way. Well, Chris, best of luck with your future well-shod social engagements. Well-shod social engagements, Chris. Um, I'm sure you're going to be invited to a lot of people's homes uh, following the publication of this article. But uh, let's take a quick break. Um, Enjoy our slippers, and we will be right back. We live in a fast-paced world. Sometimes, you just need to slow down and stop. Heddles Plus, the noon membership program of exclusive content, giveaways, discounts, and a community chat forum. Try a month free with the code EXTRABLOWOUT. Welcome back to Blowout, and we've got some of everyone's favorite content. That's right, depressing clothing production news. Woo! Do you own any organic cotton? Are there any organic cotton garments in, in either of your closets? Probably. But like, there's nothing that you like explicitly bought because it was organic cotton. Oh, no. No. Okay. Me neither. Me neither, because we're savvy consumers that know... That organic cotton is apparently a lie. We've sniffed it out from the beginning because uh, the New York Times had an extremely damning piece earlier this week about the realities of organic cotton farming, and it is very much not pretty. So one of the authors of this was Alden Wicker, a friend of Heddle's and has a great site called EcoCult. 
Um, but here is the sort of crux of the piece. With the fashion industry trumpeting its sustainability commitments, those labels are a, both a means of value signaling, the labels of organic cotton, and a lure to consumers willing to pay more to act better. There's only one problem. Much of the, quote, organic cotton that makes it to store shelves may not actually be organic at all. The largest single producer of the world's organic cotton supply is India, which accounts for half of the organic cotton sold globally, and where the organic cotton movement appears to be booming. According to Textile Exchange, a leading organic proponent, the organic cotton production in India alone grew 48% in the last year despite the pandemic. However, much of this growth is fake, say Indians who source, process, and grow organic cotton. Uh, Crispin Argento, founder and managing director of The Sorcery, a small consulting firm that helps brands source organic cotton, has spent the past year hunting down organic cotton with his team only to see suppliers disappear when they start asking for proof of authenticity. He estimates between one-half and four-fifths of what is being sold as organic cotton from India is not genuine. So, most all of the organic cotton being marketed to us is actually not organic cotton, but well-marketed, conventionally grown cotton that is just being sold at a premium. And the implications I just, just get worse as you go on uh, in this article. That it just turns out to be sort of like a uh, Chinatown the movie-esque scheme to get Indian farmers to go bankrupt. Um, that quote here, uh, Madhya Pradesh, organic cotton farmers on average, Madhya Pradesh is a town uh, in India, on average, or I think a region, uh, on average earn 17,079 rupees, about $227 from a harvest, almost 21% less than the conventional cotton farmers, according to a 2017 report by Organic Cotton Accelerator. Uh, I will have to shut this down because I am suffering loss, as Mr. Ali said. These brands are making big money, but the money is not being passed on to us. What the farmers did not know, however, was that without growing uh, their cotton with, without pesticides and fossil fuel fertilizer produces an average 28% lower yields than conventional cotton farming, that organic cotton seeds produce lower quality, shorter fibers, and that increasingly brands were using their market power to negotiate the price of organic cotton down to the same price as conventional cotton or even cheaper because of its lower quality. As premiums dried up, organic cotton entrepreneurs went bust, leaving a trail of empty warehouses and gins across Madhya Pradesh. But even when the market price of organic cotton spikes, as it has in the last year because of rising demand, and farmers are again persuaded to convert their farms, most of that money is siphoned off by opportunistic middlemen who have an incentive to pass off conventional cotton produced by others as organic. So it's bankrupting all these small farmers who get their stuff bought up at a massive discount by middlemen promoting organic cotton, who then sell it to brands that are falsifying or at least claiming ignorance of uh, the fact that this is conventionally grown and not organic cotton, and the people that actually make it are getting the shaft in every step. Well, this is exactly like the issue with like claiming like the world's softest cotton, you know, being like, they say Egyptian cotton is the softest cotton, but the only like really intense governing body, to my knowledge, for cotton is Supima, which like really regulates everything. So, and Supima may not be the softest cotton or the most organic cotton or whatever, but it's the only the only body that is able to really regulate it. So, any of it's kind of anyone's game outside of that, outside of Supima. Yeah, and that was a thing that I uh, had in my notes here. Is like I talked to Blake Olvis, who 
um, has sewn West, like a mm-hmm. t-shirt brand that's only Supima cotton and was describing um, in an interview, I think it was about six months ago, um, that they only use this one thing, Pima cot, that they genetically like modify the cotton to put markers in the genome so they can tell if it's organically grown um, throughout the life of the cotton. So you can take a sample and like genome sequence the cotton to verify it. But like that's the level that you have to go to to have verification of organic cotton. Which seems a little bit ridiculous, but I guess that's what's necessary to maintain the, uh, I don't know, pedigree of the cotton. Um, but in India, at least, the certification process is completely fucked. Um, continuing on here, the, the gold standard organic cotton label comes from a German company, Global Organic, cotton, uh, Global organic Textile Standard, or GOTS. Gotcha. Um, Founded in 2006 to harmonize the various other organic labels circulating at the time, it provides the basis for uh, the other main organic cotton label textile exchanges, organic cotton standards. Funded by brands such as Adidas, Patagonia, and H&M, both GOTS and Textile Exchange rely on consumers and brands believing in the uplifting story of organic cotton. In India, as well as other cotton-producing countries, GOTS and Textile Exchange certification starts at the gin, where cotton fiber is separated from the seed. A paper transaction certificate is issued each time the cotton is sold along the supply chain from the gin to a certified spinner where the fibers become the thread to a certified mill and until it lands in the form of a shirt or a sheet uh, set in a store near you. But neither GOTS nor Textile Exchange performs inspections themselves. Instead, they use the local offices of international inspection businesses, including one cert, EcoCert, and the Behemoth Control Union, which certifies more than 100 programs in 70 countries to verify claims. Which, you know, reminds me of Nestle doesn't have child slaves in its supply chain at just the subcontractors. So these businesses, which are paid by the very generous spinners and farmers they're supposed to be policing, visit farms, test seeds for GMO contamination, and once a year inspect and verify the facilities that process, spin, weave, and dye and sew the garments, they then produce a paper certificate which gets sent to GOTS and Textile Exchange who pass on the paper to clothing manufacturers who pass it on to brands. So this is like a microcosm for inspections and auditing throughout the entire fashion industry. And this is how like a lot of the safety and labor rights inspections work in my understanding of them as well. Um, like the Rana Plaza facility that collapsed in Bangladesh, killing over 1,100 people was inspected and deemed safe just a few months before it collapsed. So it, it's just like the rubber stamp on all these things. And I feel like these brands are earning off of the good press that comes from organic cotton, but it's completely hollow. And they're the ones paying for the image while maintaining just enough distance for plausible deniability, um, but asking for prices so low for their suppliers that they like know that what they're advertising is completely impossible for the price that they're demanding from their vendors. And even when organic cotton's well-made or ethically made or produced, doesn't it use a ton of water? Like more water than regular cotton? Yeah, it does use significantly more water. Um, the, the benefits of organic cotton, from my understanding of it, is that the, uh, primarily for the workers aren't exposed to the pesticides and the fertilizers. And like the production of those is lower carbon footprint, but it does use significantly more water. And it produces a lower quality cotton from the fiber staple length perspective. So it's like not as strong and it won't last as long. Yeah, it's almost like you can't trust big brands. I don't want to go that far, but 
Uh, that's the feeling I'm getting. Yeah, don't say anything you can't take back, Reed. Yeah. No, I, mean, I think <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to do a little more research on that. Take, but I feel like big brands might not have the best interests at heart. Yeah, or any time where, like, where a brand says, like, oh, this is actually better for the environment, it's better for people, like, it's just lies. Just believe the opposite of that. Because, like, a lot of this impetus for more organic cotton production in India came after all those brands were going like, oh, Xinjiang cotton, it's the best, it's the strongest. And then like it came out like, oh, it was a bunch of forced Uyghur slave labor that was producing organic cotton in Xinjiang. And now it's all like moved to India where it's just as much smoke and mirrors about what you're actually getting. And it's just sort of like shifting the human misery around until people get wise to it and you have to go to somewhere else. Yeah, it feels like it's always a scale and root problem, right? Like, it's like, like if companies didn't make so much, you wouldn't have this, like, you wouldn't have a wildly fluctuating organic cotton market that causes folks to lose entire, entire businesses and things like that in India. Um, or I guess fluctuating taste situation. But people want to feel better. About buying organic cotton for some reason no ethical consumption we should come up with our own ethical consumption grift that we should do like i don't know hate free indigo and like this this indigo is produced without hate are you gonna buy the hateful indigo it was like nathan fielder's what was it like arctic ice or whatever uh, yeah summit yes. ice summit ice the only they were the only ones the only Clothing company that explicitly acknowledges the Holocaust. I don't know. I feel like we could probably come up with something. Make the play. Now, if you have a uh, an idea for a good, like feel good clothing grift, please send it to us at uh, what is our email address? Read blowout at heddles.com. Attention, blowout listeners. Stop by the Heddle shop for a wide assortment of sweaters, knits, and Teamster tees available in the newest colors and styles. Our denim tops and jeans for men's and boys are made in USA and are available in a rainbow of colors at a low Heddle's price. Visit shop.heddles.com and use the code BLOWOUT for a special listener discount. Okay, welcome back to Blowout. Me and Albert Reed has gone back to his home planet. And uh, it is just us here at the moment to get back into a segment we haven't done in a few weeks of product talk. Are you excited, Albert? You know me. I just, I always think that product talk is the most exciting segment of any, of any podcast, so. Yeah. And now people can actually see the product talk. Oh, shit. All right. We can share our screen, or at least I can share my screen. That does make it more fun. If you're listening to this on your uh, regular audio, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. Because first up today is the Sassafras Diggin' Half Cotton Tweed Black Shirt. Okay. I feel like it's a good opportunity to just talk about Sassafras in general. Yeah. That I have a pair of fall leaf sprayer pants that I really like and like white that has they have 15 pockets. 
And I feel like it's just such a weird concept for a brand to make expensive, overly technical clothes, but they're designed explicitly for gardening. I mean, I like the color of this right off the bat. Yes, and I like the weird pockets on it. The offset pockets are nice. Ginormous breast pocket and then like an off-center like hip pocket that goes all the way around the back for some reason. Wait, oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, you're right. It does pattern match super well. I don't know if that was their intention or not, like to make the pocket stand out a bit. But yeah, it's like a triple pocket. Because like the pocket goes all the way around that you can like put your hand down into, but then it's got like a side hand pocket that goes to the front and the back. So it's three pockets in one. That's the kind of stuff that you get at Sassafras. Yeah. I mean, you know, what does it say about the... What, so it's a half cotton tweed? Well, it's called the half cotton shirt. Half cotton tweed black. But it's 100% cotton, so I don't understand if that's like a translation error or um, lost and found here. Like, didn't get it. Or... Yeah, maybe this is copy and pasted uh, copy from some other product yeah but i'm a big fan of sassafras want more of it in my life Uh i really love my pants um when i i stop edging off of other clothes that i'm not going to buy maybe i'll think about sassafras and picking up something else what are you edging currently david uh it was a pair of those capital shorts on the the season's closing sale but I, i didn't end up buying them those were weird i thought cool but weird. I thought they were cool there were other cooler ones though that had sold out already yeah, which is yeah. why I didn't buy them but I like shirts like shorts that have a ginormous leg opening so number two here is Okayama denim the oh it's sold out now <laughs> whoops but well, we can still talk about it yeah sure is the uh, Momotaro's green tea dyed Ochizome Shashiko type 2 which I don't usually like shishiko fabrics, uh, hand pockets, or battle stripes, but I think it sort of works on this garment. It's like mm-hmm. it's a lot of things that I typically disagree with, specifically in Momotaro clothes, but it's got like this washed corduroy golden retriever type look to it. Yeah. And it also looks like it comes with a commemorative tea bag here. Like I think this is a tea bag that you get with it. Although it doesn't mention it in the description. I like the pattern of it. I think, you know, oftentimes a type two is kind of a funky pocket placement, you know, like those, those, those two pockets, which should be, which should be right near your nipples or like kind of like low into the side, like on your ribs and having Mm -hmm. them be kind of high and tight seems right. And I, you're right. I also don't use like a hand, hand pockets on, on a type two, but because of that Sashiko worn in look, it just doesn't. Yeah. I'm not too. This is a pretty nice jacket, and I think it would go so well with jeans, which is, you know, which is probably the move. Yes. It's got, like, the soul of corduroy and khaki in it, yet it is neither. Yeah. Looks good. I approve. And you're right, like, I don't, I'm, I'm also not really a Sashiko fabric guy, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, we got one that's almost sold out as well. Uh-oh. It's uh-oh. our own... You got them on. Yeah. There's, there it is. There it is. There's the patch. Yeah. Is, I, I'm glad that you're the one that's still here and not Reed because I feel like we have uh, bonded so much over how angry it's making some of the people on yeah. our website that we made yeah. these. Yeah. 
But uh, for those that don't know, what we did is Wrangler, um, they have this like patch on the pocket, but they it came with one that was made of plastic and was kind of gross and like sticky. And we're like, oh, that's dumb. Let's put our own name on a raw like leather, um, veg tan leather patch and stitch it on in place. And so we did that and they sold out immediately. And then we did it again. And those are almost gone. I think there's like a dozen pairs left um, out of the, the hundred that we did uh, on this time around. But yeah, they made a lot of people really upset that we were um, disrespecting cowboy culture. And it is such a good, I, you know, I want to just give my experiences with, this is a gene that I've been flirting with for so long. Um, it's really tough to break in. Um, it can be tough to get fades, but I have worn this pair that I have. I was size 31. Um, I haven't walked just for the last two weeks and it's just been a very active two weeks. I went to like the city museum in St. Louis and I was in the desert last weekend and I, I've just been like so active in them and they've been breaking in really nicely and the fit is super flattering. Um, just very like classic and that people really notice them, you know, and uh, because they, they're, they're kind of an anachronism in the, in the Wrangler lineup because they're so simple and classic and retro and haven't been messed with. They're raw. So very special gene. We're glad we got to do our little twist on it. And hopefully if Wrangler gets back to us, we can keep doing it. But we'll see. I think they're a little upset. They didn't seem upset at first because they sold us more, but uh, they might be upset now. So be sure to grab a pair because this might be the last run of them at shop.heddles.com, which you, as the kind listener, can get 10% off with your code BLOWOUT. That'll take $6.90 off the $69 price tag. Or if you join Heddles Plus, you get 20% off. Look at that over here. Uh, which you can join at just heddles.plus in your browser. Uh, but yeah, you have any other uh, product picks this week, Albert? No, you know, I'm trying to find a new, uh, maybe I can run this by you. I'm trying to find a new pair of black boots and like pull up kind of cowboy boots um, because I have my Lucchese boots, but they're kind of that dress boot leather. Like they're kind of dainty and they're, it's a light leather. So I wanted something with a little bit more of a profile to it that was kind of hefty. Um, uh, like an engineer boot or not like an engineer, a, just a pull-on? Still a pull-on boot. I don't really want to do an engineer boot. Um, but kind of like a black, a black boot with a little bit of a heel. So the, what you're describing is what I'm thinking of immediately is the Dayton Black Beauty boot. Although Dayton had some um, legal troubles, questionable things that happened in the wake of uh, of COVID in terms of taxes um, that were neither confirmed nor denied. But the they had a, a a pair of boots called the Black Beauty that was just basically like an alternative to an engineer boot that didn't have any straps that were just like mm. shit kicker pull on boots. They're like an ultimate version of the Pecos, sort of, but they have they look more Western than the Pecos. But yeah, I'll think of any others that are pull-ons because like very few makers do a chunky like black pull-on boot. This is the only one that came to mind that's not an engineer boot. Yeah, there are kind of more fashion-y options out there, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the landscape, you know, and I don't know what's actually good or not. I guess I could always get a black camion, but I don't really want that. I already have the oxblood. 
And I guess I want something that like I I can feel like I can have a little more faith in. Not not that I don't have faith in these, but my when you have a boot that that's that's that nice, you're a little like nervous about it. Like my Picos boot um, is I don't feel very nervous about wearing them anywhere, but they're also not super comfortable. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's just yeah, it's hard with that that niche trying to find that right thing. I feel like Yucatan also might make one. Oh, the Pedro? Is it called the Pedro? Yeah, the Pedro. Like, I have a pair of those um, that was a sample in, um, like, tan suede with a, a crepe rubber sole. And those are the shoes that I'm wearing at least two or three days a week. They're the ones that I probably wear most often. Well, they have a, cord- a navy cordovan. Oh, and it's, it's $1,500. Perfect, perfect. Wonderful. But yeah, it's a beautiful boot. And it's got a leather sole on it, so you can only wear it and so often. Although, except for recently, you don't get any precipitation in Southern California. That's true. Yeah, I can wear it all, all year round here, but not anywhere else. All right. Well, do you think that's about a podcast? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, read what is the Google or not what is the Google voice number if you have any questions comments concerns read what is our email address blowout at heddles.com thank you and Albert do you have anything new coming into the Heddles shop um, we're working on it we um, are trying to get some really cool new stuff and some restocks but um, uh, it'll be a little while before we have those in so for now Get those Wranglers before we run out. They could be the last run ever. And um, be sure to post your fit picks and your fade progressions. And oh, we do have, I'm sorry, we do have something very exciting. We have Shaco coming to the store. Um, yes. I'm sure you guys know Shaco. will probably be live. Yeah. Um, so great denim, you know, great, great people, great fits. Um, so we'll have those up soon too. So, be sure to check that out. Shaco made in Richmond, Virginia. It's one of like, you can count on one hand the number of denim makers actually making it in-house at their own factories and their, with their own sewers. And Shaco is one of them. Uh, known them for a very long time, like seven or eight years now. Anthony and the team make a great pair of jeans and we're going to have a full selection of a bunch of different fits in different fabrics. Um, so you can find that very soon at shop.heddles.com. And again, 10% off with the code blowout. Well, thank you very much for joining us and we will catch you again next week.